Hi, we're Tea and TV, a podcast for TV addicts. I'm Price. And I'm Elizabeth. Today we're discussing The Bold Type, Season 1, Episode 10, Carry the Weight. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Price. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I am so excited to do this episode. How about me, you? Oh, me too. I am so crazy excited that we finally got to episode 10. Yeah, I can't believe it. Episode 10, the season finale of The Bold Type. Yeah. I, like, uh, we, we did it. <laughs> I know. It's been, like, months in the making, and we're finally here, and I'm so... So excited to do this episode. Um, it's going to be really good. Yeah, this is definitely one of our favorite episodes of the season, and we both think it's a really great finale and just ties so many things from the season together. And I, yeah, I'm just so excited to talk about it. And I'm so proud of us for getting this far. Yeah, let's uh, let's toot our own horn for a second because we're amazing. Yeah. Um, we are amazing. We've never done this before. And yeah, here we are. Yeah. Ten episodes later. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's get started. What tea are you drinking? Um, so because we're doing the season finale of the bold type, I'm drinking blackberry hibiscus, which is pink. Uh Aww. based Yeah, based off of and it's like it's from choice and it's turned into my absolute favorite tea ever. That's so awesome. I'm so glad that you paired your tea with our podcast so beautifully. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I like I drink this tea all the time. And I've had and I have had this tea on a previous episode, but I just thought I would, you know, have it again for our season finale of the bold type. Yeah. That's adorable. Thank you. What tea are you drinking? I am drinking Stash's fusion green and white tea. Um, it's really like soothing while not being super bitter. Cause you know how green tea can be bitter sometimes. And it's like, yeah, not. I did not pair it with the episode, but maybe I can bullshit it. Um, so <laughs> it's a, it's a fusion tea that I picked because this episode is such a fusion of elements. And we're going to talk a lot about how we, um, saw a lot of parallels between this episode and the first episode and like the whole season. So there's a fusion there. A plus bullshitting. Yes. I, I appreciate it. Hey, you're <laughs> welcome. I got to step up my game when I'm talking to you. God damn, dude. <laughs> um, so we had a couple of just announcements that we wanted to tell you guys before we started. Announcements? Uh, we never do announcements. <laughs> well, we just wanted to remind everyone that the next Three episodes after this one, we will be covering The Handmaid's Tale, both the novel and the first season of the TV show. And we'll also be um, live tweeting the season two of The Handmaid's Tale on Twitter. So uh, our handle is TTV Podcast. So check that out. Yeah, we are so excited uh, to dive into The Handmaid's Tale with a lot of you. Um, we know that it was such a huge show when it came out, and we're just really excited to dive in and talk about themes and some fan theories that we have. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we will also be doing a season one wrap up episode of the bold type. We'll be releasing that a couple of weeks before the season two airs this summer. So keep an eye out for that. We're not quite done with the bold type yet. <laughs> and it's going to be a very special episode. We're not going to tell you about it right now because we're still working on it. But we are so excited to do that episode because it's going to be very near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, we have some good ideas that we're like just thrilled to start planning and share with everyone. So yes. keep a, keep an eye out for these very exciting things coming forward. So that that should be released in June, like Price said, a few weeks before season two starts, and then we can go into that one as well. Yeah. Okay, so do, uh, do we want to start talking about the episode? We're formatting it a little bit differently this time, aren't we? Yeah, so uh, just like episode five, the mid-season finale, we're formatting it differently because it makes more sense to talk about chronologically. So we're going to talk about what happens before the Fashion Week party, what happens at the Fashion Week party and the night of, and what happens after the Fashion Week party in that order. So it's not... The three girls, um, it's it's going to be chronologically this time, just like we did for episode five. Yeah. Okay, so we want to start with Cat real quick, right? Cat, 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 cat Edison. Yeah, what is Cat up to? Um, so it's fashion week and Kat is planning the fashion week party and she's trying to get 2 million followers on Twitter before this party. Um, and it's huge, um, like following that she's built up in her time that she's been the social media director. I think she like mentions that like whenever she first started as the social media director, that number was half of what it was. Uh, and so she's just grown it tremendously in the couple of years that she's been there. Which is honestly incredible. Like we've been working on growing our following and everything and it is very difficult. Um, so I am like so impressed at this number that Kat is going on and on about. Yeah, a bit obsessive about this 2 million followers number. She's still very, very upset that Adina has left and she confesses to Sutton and Jane at the beginning of the episode that she was thinking about getting on the plane with Adina. Which is good because then they can have their uh, cue romantic Sutton and down-to-earth Jane reactions like last time. Sutton's like, oh my god, that's so romantic! And Jane is like, wait, what now? Oh. Yeah, but then Jane actually kind of surprises them, and, like, she says, you know, if you had gone, I would have supported you, and mm -hmm. uh, mentions, you know, since she got her BRCA gene test results, she's been a lot more open to, like, taking life as it comes to you and taking risks and chances and everything, yeah. which is very, like, I thought I thought was tremendous growth from, like, Jane that, from the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's huge growth, and I'm, I'm really glad that they tied that in this episode of mentioning that, like, Jane is Jane has grown Jane has learned stuff and she she's ready for whatever life brings her Kat also gets uh, we got a nice uh, sponsorship plug from Macy's Cat's uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to cheer up Sutton and Jane later in the episode before the party buys them a whole bunch of presents from Macy's in the fashion closet <laughs> yes we thought that this was a, an especially cute moment because I mean Sutton's lying on the floor and Kat's just throwing gifts at her like ooh presents <laughs> it was so sweet and adorable. Yeah, so that's what Kat's up to. So let's go ahead and move on to Sutton. 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 
So with Sutton, um, Oliver is back and it's Yay! fashion week. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So he, he talks to her about what her duties are and that he owns her ass this week and every week. Um, and that she is not Cinderella. She's the dormouse. She's there to make him look good. And that is her job. Uh, so she's basically running around town, uh, being a crazed maniac, trying to pick up all of these outfits and make sure that Oliver looks great at all of these events that he goes to and just that scarlet shines. She also has a little bit of romantic awkwardness. Um, what would an episode be without Sutton romanticness? She and Alex are kind of figuring things out. They don't know what they want to be and she ultimately does decide to give it a chance, which is great, but then immediately, like 30 seconds into their official relationship, Jacqueline catches them and says that they have to go meet with HR. God, I feel like I was cringing the entire time all of this was happening. Like Jacqueline catching Alex and Sutton kissing in the stairwell and then the meeting Sutton has with HR and Richard. Oh, God. It was cringy until Richard walks in and then it was just awful. Like... Ugh. I felt so bad for Sutton. Like, my heart was breaking for her over just how terrible and awkward and mortifying this that whole meeting and situation with her was. And just, oh, my heart went out to her. Yeah, I mean, her heart is breaking. Like, poor Richard for having to hear that. Um, Yeah, so that's awful, but... That's Sutton, so she's killing it at work, and she's being really awkward in her romantic life. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely killing it at work, though. She, like, I love how she starts the episode saying, like, yeah, all this, like, awkward romantic stuff with Alex and Richard is going on, but I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on kicking Fashion Week's ass. And, uh, once again, it makes me just so happy to see her love her job and be good at her job because that's like she was great at being Lauren's secretary but now she's actually just thriving under Oliver and it makes me so happy oh yeah it's so amazing to see we see throughout the episode even though it's a very demanding week for her just her just being completely on top of Oliver's shit all of you know Oliver's outfits and schedules are ready to go and then she even goes above and beyond and puts together this list of affordable pieces for people who can't afford all these designer labels. Yeah. Yeah. And we really see like um, Sutton's trueness come out. And it actually just struck me that she really exudes Jacqueline here. She's always doing something while multitasking with work. And we've seen Jacqueline do that throughout the entire season. And that is so cool um, to see that parallel with Sutton now killing it. That's really cool. Yeah, that, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. That is uh, so cool. And even more, like, kind of ironic since, like, her most of her mentorship has been with Oliver and not Jacqueline. I know. And that's why I didn't think about it until now, because I never think about Sutton and Jacqueline primarily. And I wonder if that's a hint of the future of maybe Sutton will exude both Oliver and Jacqueline as she grows in her career in season two. I don't know. That would be neat. I'd love to see that. Me too. Um, yeah, so that's Sutton. Happy that Oliver's back. Like, there was so much Sutton-Oliver banter this episode. It was a gift. It was amazing. Yes. Ugh. 
they're so great comedically together. I'm so, so happy that these actors are just brilliant. Um, yeah, so that's Sutton. Let's see, Jane. Oh, tiny, tiny Jane. 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 Jane Sloan. She has taken the job at Insight, and she keeps trying to give her two weeks notice to Jacqueline. But every single time she tries to tell Jacqueline, she keeps getting interrupted. And uh, Jacqueline assumes that she wants to talk about the story of an artist. And Jacqueline is just micromanaging Jane for no reason this entire episode. Yeah, so Jane really struggles trying to tell Jacqueline that she's leaving. It's just, it's such an incredibly hard thing for her to to say uh she you know admires Jacqueline and respects her so much and has learned a lot from her but with this story that she's doing Jacqueline has just kind of become a little overbearing and is micromanaging her a whole lot which makes it even more complicated uh with uh Jane telling her that she's leaving yeah, so I didn't. It didn't make sense why Jacqueline was being so micromanagey. Uh, this the the story that she's writing about is very important, and I understand that. But for some mm-hmm. reason, Jacqueline was just turned up to an eleven and just very very freaked out this entire episode, which didn't make sense until the you know until it made sense um, until they explain it. But yeah, so what what is Jane writing about? What is this? art project. So we find out that this was a story that Jane wanted to write and was one of the very first stories that she pitched to Jacqueline whenever she started as a writer. Um, And she wants to write about this young woman named Mia who was raped and uh, tried to press charges against her attacker, uh, but there wasn't sufficient evidence. So she started this visual arts project where she she stands in a gazebo in Central Park and she holds two weights that look like scales. Uh, she was inspired whenever she was talking to the prosecutor and she was looking behind him and uh, saw this image of Lady Justice and was just struck by that image. So she, as she's standing there holding the scales, she looks like Lady Justice and it's a way to just show that her rapist is walking free. And it just became this visual arts project where other women, other, um, sexual assault and rape survivors uh, can come up and take the weights from her. If you haven't been sexually assaulted or raped, then you can't take that weight from her, but another survivor can. Right. And, And her whole theory is that she wasn't brought justice. So this is a way of showing light on it. Um, And her reason for this is that she thinks there are so many people like her who haven't felt justice for what was wronged against them um, and that they could keep carrying the weights forever. And that's why the episode is called Carry the Weight. And it's such a powerful image to see her representing both Lady Justice while also being so um, emotionally torn about it. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the bold type has hit upon serious issues, but this probably, I think, like the most serious issue that they've kind of addressed and they didn't shy away from it or try and make light of it. I know. I, I love how they handled that. And I think that, honestly, this is one of the minor things, but the thing that struck me so well was that at the very end of the episode, they show Rain.com and a uh, national abuse survivors uh, hotline for anyone that needs it. And I thought that that was just such a down-to-earth, wonderful thing for them to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Jane is trying to write about uh, this young woman and her art project, and Jacqueline is being very overbearing and wanting to like look over all of Jane's questions and interview notes, and Kat uh, has a role in this. She and Jane come up with the idea to install a webcam to record and live stream Mia and, who, and anyone else who is there. Yeah, and uh, this was so cool, and... I really liked how they brought such awareness to it with that, but this is the moment where it stopped making sense for me why Jacqueline was freaking out about this story, because there is a reason um, that the webcam was important. It brought awareness, it got people to show and see her, but Jacqueline was still freaking out because it's just Mia standing alone and that's the only thing that's happening like you can you can share all the likes that you want but it's not actually going to do anything and I think that that was really um where Jacqueline's freak out made sense but also still didn't to me does that make sense yeah yeah and we'll and we'll talk about the big reveal later and more about Mia and sexual assault in general um later in the episode yeah so let's um let's talk about one of the critical points of the episode so there's this huge fashion week party and it's kind of a throwback to the Scarlet Gala, but not really. It it feels much more conflicted. We know these girls a lot better, so we know, you know, who they want to talk to, who they don't. And it just, it, it felt like very similar, but also very different, right? Yeah, it felt, I think it felt similar in just like plot what happens there's a big scarlet party in episode one and episode 10 but to me just how the party felt was just so different the very first episode whenever we have the scarlet gala it's just all it's even though the girls are fighting at the time it's like this extravagant event and you're just kind of enamored by all the photography and all the pretty dresses and this really fancy party and there's like a lot of there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of hope, I feel, and in that first episode. And then with this one, just with all the conflicts that the three girls are going through, yeah, it's still like a fun, sexy, like uh, exciting, glamorous, glitzy party. But it kind of, I don't know, at least to me when I was watching this and just the emotional place that all three girls are in, it just kind of felt a little shallow and not like as exciting and hopeful as the first one felt no that's really interesting um i i wasn't gonna say shallow i was gonna say like a trap almost because it feels like they're trapped there instead of wanting to be there but i totally see where you're coming from where you say it feels shallow because it's like all three of them are surrounded by this glitz and glam but they don't really belong there almost like sudden eh, that's not right it felt like there were other things that were on their mind there are more important things, I guess. And yes. maybe shallow is not the right no, word. No, I, I think that shallow fits. I think that it's both shallow and how I felt like it was a trap is what you're getting at, is that it felt like there were more important things for them to be doing. And, and we don't really, you know, we also, as the audience, feel trapped in there with them because there's so much conflict going on that's at this party, but nothing... Nothing in the story is centered around this party. It's all about the outside conflict. Yeah. I mean, it definitely just felt like the first one was just a very fun, glamorous party. And then this one, like, we weren't in a party mood. It was very interesting how they tied that in. The first episode party versus the 10th episode party. Um, I thought it was just 
really well done. And I thought it also just highlighted how much like each of the three girls have grown over the season. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's a key element throughout this entire episode is really showing how the three of them have grown. Um, they haven't grown that much though, because this entire party, all three of them are just avoiding their life choices. Sutton is avoiding both Alex and Richard at the same time. Jane is avoiding uh, Jacqueline and not wanting to talk about the fact that she's going to be leaving Scarlet soon. And then Kat is just avoiding the fact that she doesn't want to be at this party at all, but she's running it. Yeah. The very beginning of the party sets the tone with it, where they're literally avoiding people they don't want to see or talk to. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into how they kind of resolve these trapped and shallow feelings. So Kat is sitting there at the party and we find out that she hits her 2 million follower account that she has been going on and on and on about for the entire episode. And she doesn't really care. She just kind of like brushes it off and says, oh, cool, thanks. And that's it. Yeah. And it's it's so strange. It's very strange and just also very sad and heartbreaking when Sutton asks her why she's reacting this way. And she's uh, Kat says, I'm just, I don't feel like how I thought I would. I feel empty. And mm. it's, and I think that just throws back to, you know, more like obviously her bigger storyline has been her and Adina. Um, she and Adina are together and they're separated, but also this more, new conflict from Kat about her like just wanting more from her life and wanting an adventure and just kind of yeah not really knowing what she wants from her life and trying to figure that out and even so even though there's this this work goal that she's been working towards her entire career it makes her feel empty which is so sad I know and I think that it's it's very telling that she knows that this isn't really what she wants anymore. I feel like once you hit this big goal and it doesn't bring you as much joy as you thought it would, it, it, it really makes you question your choices and like hopefully make good changes to fix that feeling and really find that drive again. Yeah. So, uh, how does Sutton resolve her uh, avoiding life choices problems? Oh God, Sutton, I feel for you so hard, girl. Sutton, woman's up. And uh, she finally goes and talks to Richard. She uh, talks to him about just being sorry that he had to be in the HR meeting and apologizing to put him in that situation. But he actually ends up turning that conversation on its head and he apologizes for not fighting for her more. Like, it was all of these feelings that I hadn't felt about Richard because we hadn't seen him in a few episodes were just like, Oh my God, where have you been? Please come back. Like, oh, Sutton, stop being with the wrong guy because like, he's just, he's such a sweetheart and he still cares for her. And it was wonderful to see that. Yeah. So sad though, but like, so, so incredibly sweet yeah. and just a heartbreak is the only word I can describe, like, with the whole Sutton situation. Uh, and also, in addition to having this conversation with Richard, Alex overhears them. We see him in the background overhearing. And then what happens, Price? Tell me. Well, then Sutton uh, talks to Alex. They go take some pictures in the photo booth and uh, then break up because Alex doesn't want to be the guy who she's with when she wants to be with someone else. 
I thought that that was very smart of him and like very mature. Once again, we Mm -hmm. see Alex be very mature and, you know, kind of do the right thing. And I really liked that they broke up because as I've mentioned, I don't really like Alex and Sutton together, but I was also just so heartbroken by Sutton and this stupid photo booth taking pictures of her breakup. Oh my gosh, so sad, like, so sad, like, seriously, like, what a bad party. Yeah, and it, obviously, it's TV, so, like, they're gonna push this as far as they can, but the, the photo booth just took the pictures at the worst possible times, like, she even looks up and says, seriously, like, (laughs) you actually want to document this moment in my life, are you kidding me? It was, it was really good, though, I, I really liked Sutton's arc at the party. Yeah, me too. It was just so messy and heartbreaking and just very real and sad. And But then there were very sweet moments of it. And yeah, I hope, I hope she and Alex can stay friends, even though I don't think they probably can after this. Yeah, I think that it'll be definitely changed forever, but I don't know what's going to happen with them. I yeah. don't know. And then, oh, Jane, tiny, tiny Jane has, she just is avoiding Jacqueline. She doesn't want to talk to her. And have you ever noticed that when Jane doesn't want to do something, she just gets really breathless? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So Jane walks up to Jacqueline and goes, can I, I would like to talk to you, please. (laughs) And just like so dramatic. And oh my gosh, it's adorable though. Yeah. But she does finally tell Jacqueline that she's leaving, that Mia's story will be her last. And you can just see her kind of fighting through tears as she's telling Jacqueline all of this. And it thanks her for the opportunity and then says that she's sorry that she disappointed her. And Jacqueline is just incredibly taken aback and says, Jane, you've, you've never disappointed me. And Jane says, well, that's what it feels like. And then walks off. And it's once again, just so messy and sad and confusing because Jane has just this whole season has been trying to prove herself to Jacqueline to try and impress Jacqueline. And I think she feels that, Whatever she does, it's it's not going to be good enough for Jacqueline. As much as she respects and admires Jacqueline and has learned a lot from her, she just, I think we see like at this very end and with her giving her notice to Jacqueline in this party that she feels like she's not good enough. And yeah, yeah. And it's it's awful to see Jane feel that way. But I thought that Jacqueline also was very struck by what she said, like, no, you've you've never disappointed me. And I think that actually is kind of the theme of this whole scene that they wanted to show is that um, we have these three girls finally address their conflicts and it's not as we thought it would be. Like, I don't know if anyone thought that Alex was going to break up with Sutton. I don't think that anyone thought that Sutton would go to Richard and he would actually apologize and wish that he wanted to talk to her more and it's the same with Jacqueline um she isn't disappointed and she's actually confused at what Jane mentions um and then with Kat you know she gets her followers but doesn't care so it's such a it's such an interesting way to say like yes you may be thinking this and you may have be having this conflict about these things but um that that's actually not how they're gonna end up and I'm sorry I'm thinking out loud so all all three girls they they address something and then it doesn't happen the way we would think, you know? 
Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You would think that things would get resolved in a happy bow with either uh, Richard or Alex when they're kind of unresolved at the end of the party and Kat gets her followers, but she's not happy about it. And Jane kind of confronts Jacqueline and like, there's no really resolution. It's just a lot of sadness and angst. Yeah. And we see, we, I feel like the reason that I wanted to do the podcast this way, where we're talking about all three girls at once is because they follow a very similar journey in this episode of their, you know, they have this conflict, they resolve it, but it's almost not resolved. At this party, you know, they, they have these resolutions, but it's not quite what we expected. And it is very, very similar to also Mia's journey, where she presses charges, she goes to the prosecutor, and the Justice Department resolves it, but she never gets her personal resolve because she wasn't able to press charges and she feels like she can't ever get over her rape. Yeah. That sometimes resolutions aren't what we expected or want them to be and can instead be messy and heartbreaking. I really hope that I'm just not making something out of thin air, but that is such a cool theme, and I, I'm so impressed with the way that they did that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so it's really cool that they tied that almost into Mia's story without actually tying that in, which brings us to the second half of the night. Jane, Sutton, Kat, and Jacqueline all head to the gazebo, both like separately and together, which I thought was such a cool concept. Yeah, originally Jane leaves the party first, then um, Sutton and Kat are sick of the party and go and find her. Uh, and then we see Jacqueline goes on the webcam and sees that all three girls are there with Mia, and then she goes herself. Yeah, and I love that this um, webcam that Jacqueline was so almost furious at for not bringing people together, for just bringing them together online, actually brings our main characters together with Mia. And it's the five of them just having this physical comfort of just being around each other. Yeah. And so Jane, Kat, and Sutton can't take the weights from Mia because they haven't been survivors of sexual assault or rape. Um, but they stand there in solidarity with her and hold hands with each other. And so that leads to, I would say, the most powerful scene in this episode and in the whole series. Um, I mean, I cry every single time I watch it. I'm tearing up thinking about it right now. Yeah, it's it's a very powerful, very, very powerful wordless scene. Um, definitely, like you said, one of the most, if not the most powerful scenes of the show. We see Jacqueline walk up through this wall of girls um, in front of Mia and just silently and very powerfully take the weight and, and carry this weight that she's carried with her and her entire life. They don't actually talk about what happens in the gazebo. It's it's kind of left in this powerful, silent moment of uh, sisterhood and being there for one another. And then it immediately cuts to being in the office with Jane interviewing Jacqueline about her experiences. Um, she talks about how she was assaulted when she was very early in her career. It was her editor or a, another writer or something. It's That's not really made clear, but she never talked about it with anyone other than Ian. And it's very interesting to see how she 
kind of made this a part of her life because it changed her and she's never gonna be what she was before her assault and and she mentions that yeah that whole five minutes of just the wordless scene in the gazebo when she takes the weight and the song that they're playing really has a lot to do with it it, there's a lot of history behind it. It was written by the singer and artist Milk, and it was performed for the very first time at the Women's March in Washington, D.C. on uh, in January 2017. Milk put together a choir. She got together um, 26 women from across the country who were going to the march, and they practiced this song via Skype and an acapella version of it for the first time at the Women's March. And they've performed it like several times since then and it is about sexual assault and rape and you know I can't keep quiet about this thing that happened to me anymore we're gonna link all this all the information about it and like a video or two uh of the song being performed but it's just it was so so powerful and just it I mean I'm serious it makes me cry every single time I listen to it and every time I see that scene and it was paired perfectly with that scene with Jacqueline taking the weights from Mia. Yeah, and I didn't know that about the song, and that is just such a powerful um, way to bring in the real-life struggles with this fictional but also very real show, um, and I thought that that was so cool. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of thought went into uh, including this in Jacqueline's background. We're going to link an article from uh, Huffington Post where they interviewed the writer of this episode, and she talks about how when they were thinking of Jacqueline and her character and her background, they were trying to think uh, what was it like as, for a female journalist 20 years ago, and as hard as it is now for female journalists, it was even harder back then. And so they decided very, very early on to have this be part of Jacqueline's background and to reveal it at the end of the episode. And you can see hints about that. We mentioned in our very first episode, Jacqueline has a line where she says, well, I've never felt powerless when she's still this big, larger than life, powerful figure. And then we pair that with a quote from the episode 10, when she's telling Jane about her rape in this interview at the end of the episode and she says I've never felt so powerless. I know. I I we you and I both freaked out at that moment. I remember and when we first saw it and it was just such a powerful moment um to bring that back to episode 1. Such a good scene. Yeah. And just also just such a powerful image of Jacqueline, this wonderful boss who these girls have revered and respect and admired and learned so much about. And uh, we as an audience feel the same way. And even though she's still a bit of a mystery, but just the image of Jacqueline standing in that gazebo, holding these weights, looking like Lady Justice is just, I, there are no words for it. Yeah, it was beautiful. And we also noticed that there was um, a few bubblegum pink moments um just to pair it back into our theme of the entire season there was this crazy party that's going on it with scarlet being all frills and thrills and just being amazing paired with mia in central park in the dark telling her story and trying to carry the weight um with these three beautiful girls for once um jacqueline comes in in their gorgeous gala where it was such a great mix of the two things. I also noticed that 
we feel this powerful sisterhood and, and friendship when the five of them are in the gazebo. And I thought it was really almost ironic that this beautiful image of these five strong, powerful women is only occurring because of what terrible, terrible thing happened to Mia. And I thought that that was kind of a bubblegum pink thing of it's all surrounding sexual assault and, and this rape that happened to her. And now we're seeing friendship and just strength and bond between these five women. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting. And uh, the Huffington Post article, which I mentioned, the writer has a quote, which I think really ties into what we've talked about with our bubblegum pink themes. Uh, she says, you don't escape reality when you immerse yourself in Jane and Kat and Sutton's lives, but you see a kinder version of it. And I really, I really thought that kind of ties in with what we've been saying all season that like there are these real life issues but they're clouded in this bumblegum pink fantasy, which makes, yeah, it's not a complete immersion, but it's just kinder version, a kinder reality than what we have right now. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that someone was able to put that into words um, versus <laughs> yeah. our saying this bubblegum pink thing. Um, but <laughs> I, I hope that all of our listeners know what we mean. Yeah. So along with the sexual assault theme of this episode, we wanted to cover a lot of what's happening in the news recently and with sexual assault. And it's been a crazy year. So you did you did a lot of research about it. So tell me everything. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I did a lot of research about this. I was in a bit of a sexual assault internet hole for a few hours, which um, I think I need is detox afterwards. <laughs> but so we wanted to talk about the conversation of sexual assault that's been happening in our country the last two, three years, really. So yeah, to kind of start off with, I wanted to mention a couple of notable sexual assault cases that happened before the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the Me Too movement. The case that was, uh, that directly inspired the events in this episode, the student named Emma Sulkowicz. She was a student at Columbia University and was raped by a fellow student during her freshman year uh, in 2012. I think like the second night that she attended university, she was raped. So the student went through a process and there, I think there were two other women who accused him of, of rape, um, but he was found not guilty in 2013. So for her senior thesis, uh, for her visual arts degree for eight months from September all the way to her graduation in May, of um, 2015, she carried an extra large twin mattress similar to the mattresses that are issued by Columbia University and was similar to the mattress that she was raped on. She carried this mattress around Columbia University for eight months to protest her rapist being unpunished. She said that she would carry the mattress every single day until her rapist was expelled or left the school. Um, and she ended up carrying it during the graduation ceremony. She called the project Carry That Weight. And she had a couple of rules, like she had to carry the campus whenever she was anywhere on university property. She couldn't ask for help from anybody, but she could accept it if offered. When people would interview her and follow around, you know, they were just 
a, a lot of strangers who would just help her. And so she accepted that help. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's such a great parallel. You really can see the inspiration uh, for this episode and Mia's story from Emma's story because called carry the weight and that's her basic guidelines too is that she can accept help but if people offer it and they're allowed to carry the weight they can also carry the weight and that's that's so powerful and interesting yeah so another prominent sexual assault case was Brock Turner who was a student at Stanford University who was convicted of raping an unconscious girl who remained anonymous uh, Emily Doe at a party and was, was only sentenced to six months in jail and in March 2016. Uh, so there was a huge public outcry about this. Emily Doe's victim impact statement has been read more than 11 million times. And as a result, California passed a bill that closed the loophole that allowed um, lighter sentences in cases where the victim is unconscious or severely intoxicated. Joe Biden wrote a letter in response to Emily Doe's statement. Her letter was read aloud on CNN and the floor of Congress. I still haven't been able to read her letter. I get halfway through and I, and I have to stop. Yeah, I've read it. It's um terrible. I read it when it first came out when everything was still developing and I made the mistake of reading it at work. And I needed to take a moment because I was just, I was bawling. I think all of us know, especially from the Me Too movement, that we we could have been her easily. Any any one of us um, who's ever gone to a party and made a mistake and drunk too much um, could have absolutely been her. And it broke my heart. And I'm also just pissed off because Brock Turner only ended up serving three months in prison and the, his father's reasoning was that it would have destroyed his career if he got convicted and I'm like yeah it he destroyed her life he deserves to be destroyed as well yeah oh also fun update uh in December uh, last December he started uh, appealing his conviction so they, his lawyers had put together like a 130 page document, 60 pages devoted to how Emily Doe was drunk. I'm, uh, yeah, that entire case pisses me off, but I do constantly do see people just reminding everyone, Hey, by the way, remember that he is a rapist. Just, just let's remember that he is a rapist. And there was a woman who she wrote a textbook and under the definition of rapist, she puts Brock Turner's picture. And I am very impressed by that. That's, it's another way to get justice, I guess. I am determined to never forget his face because he's out in the world and he shouldn't be. I agree. And I agree. My, yeah, my rage for this case has, I, I, I can't, I have no words for my rage about this. Yeah. Um, okay, so another notable sexual harassment case was Gretchen Carlson filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against Fox News chairman Roger Ailes in July 2016. She alleged that she was fired from her program for refusing his sexual advances and in September 2016, Fox Corporation settled with Gretchen for $20 million and Roger Ailey's resigned um, in July 2016. So, I mean, she's very conservative, so I don't necessarily agree with her views, but this was very notable that someone who had sexually harassed a woman actually faced consequences. Um, and this was just very notable, another notable case before the Harvey Weinstein scandal. 
Which leads us to Harvey Weinstein's. Last October, the New York Times and New Yorker reported that dozens of women had accused Weinstein of sexual abuse over the last 30 years. More than 80 women in the film industry have accused Weinstein since then, and we have learned that this was the biggest open secret of Hollywood. Everybody knew. The Weinstein company just covered up this behavior for years and years. Yeah, no, I we're still finding out things today. Um, I think it was a month ago that Uma Thurman finally released her statement on both Harvey Weinstein and what Quentin Tarantino did to her. And I read that statement and just my heart broke all over again for all of these women and all of these nameless women too, that, you know, we're not going to hear from because they'd never made it. And it just, it hurts my soul. Yeah. Yeah, so once the scandal broke, that's kind of when I'm still holding out to see if things are actually going to change, um, even though it's been, I mean, I guess six months, but... Um, Dude, things are changing. I I find that I can discuss sexual assault a lot easier just in everyday life. I feel like it's on people's minds still, and it there's a lot other things that are going on, which I think currently is um, eclipsing it. But I don't think it's going to go away. No, I don't think so, too. I think it has changed things. I'm just, I'm still a little, I'm trying to not get my hopes up and still be, I guess, be realistic to how things are. You know, like, sexual assault, it's not a new conversation in sexual harassment and the workplace and you know, all these conversations we've been having since October, like they're not new. So yes, it seems like it's changed because everyone has been talking about it. And I think, and there have been, there has been some change. You're right. I guess I'm just, I'm hoping it's lasting change. So anyway, so as a result of that, from the Harvey Weinstein scandal came this Me Too movement. Now the original person who created the phrase Me Too and the Me Too movement is an activist named Tarana Burke who created the phrase Me Too on MySpace in 2006 as part of a grassroots campaign to promote empowerment through empathy among uh, women of color who have experienced sexual abuse, particularly within the underprivileged communities. And so this idea of empowerment through empathy. She said in like a tweet that the Me Too movement is to let women, particularly women of color, know that they're not alone, that's the movement, that it's the start of a larger conversation um, and a movement for radical community healing. So that term has been around since 2006. But in October, after the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke out, actress Alyssa Milano encouraged using this phrase over Twitter. She tweeted, if all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And to say it went viral it would be an understatement. It just, it, it, it's insane how trending it was, how viral it went. Thousands and thousands of people were sharing their stories all at once. And I mean, I like, I remember how it felt just seeing all this happen and seeing this wave of stories come up all at once. It was just insanely powerful. No, I remember it too. And I, uh, I think that that's when I really noticed that this was different. This was going to be different than all the other times I had heard before because it wasn't just one person's story. It was everyone's story. And I I think I took for granted that all women know 
that this is a thing that, you know, we are all catcalled and harassed daily on a minor level. And I think I took for granted that all of us knew that because when I was talking to some of the guy friends in my life, they didn't think that it was such a big deal. They didn't really understand until the Me Too movement that this is something that we deal with basically every day. Yeah, I mean, it was so powerful and heartbreaking to see just this wave of stories come out. And the impact has just been incredible. There's literally a Wikipedia article called The Weinstein Effect, which I'm getting a lot of this information. Um, Yeah, there have been so many male celebrities and actors and politicians who have been accused of sexual assault and have kind of faced some consequences. The big ones have been Kevin Spacey and Louis C.K., Matt Lawyer, Brett Ratner, Charlie Rose, Al Franken, Roy Moore, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I mean, I'm totally serious. We'll link the article, but it's just a you keep scrolling with how many men have been accused of sexual assault since this has come out. Men and women, um, but mostly men. You're right. And I, yeah, we could do an entire podcast on all of the different sexual assault victims and all of the different men, like just their stories and how that occurred. And it's just, I think that it's terrible, but I'm also very happy. You know, it's a confusing feeling. Yeah, it is a very confusing feeling. Yeah, it really is just uh, equal parts heartbreaking, but hopeful that these stories are coming out finally. Another big impact from this was whenever the U.S. gymnastics team sex abuse scandal was happening, particularly the Dr. Larry Nassar. Over the past two decades, more than 368 individuals, most of them uh, women and minors, uh, had been sexually assaulted by just a team of gym owners and coaches and staff. Particularly Larry Nasser, who was the doctor, more than 265 women, including national team members Michaela Maroney, Allie Raisman, Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles, and Jordan Weber, like all of the fab and final five, pretty much, have accused him of sexually assaulting them. And it had been taking place before the Weinstein scandal, but his conviction was happening, I think, at the end of the year. Yeah, no, I um, so I listen to the New York Times, the daily podcast every day that it comes out. And I hadn't really heard of it until I listened to that podcast. And I would absolutely encourage everyone to go listen to it. It talks to the survivors. It breaks down the entire detail. It was it was a very powerful thing. But I remember the reason that this was such a huge thing was because, I mean, you have gold medal winners accusing this guy of sexually assaulting them. And one of the main things that I think was maybe a little bit inspired by the Me Too movement is that the judge allowed every single person who wanted to speak to Larry Nasser as their, you know, fundamental right of being able to face your accusers. She let every single person who wanted to speak, speak. And it took, I think it was a full week of people talking to him and just explaining what he did and having their own say. And I listened to some of them and it was just like so heartbreaking as these powerful gold medalist winners are just talking about a time when they were completely helpless. And it was, and some parents talked, some non-survivors talked and it was very, very powerful. Yeah. So that was, a big deal when it was happening and he is pretty much in jail for life 
Over life. Over life. Yeah, never getting out of jail. So there's also this site that I told you about. There's a site, it's called the Rotten Apple. .es. Um, we'll link it. It's it's a little confusing. But so it's like Rotten Apples, but instead of telling you the rating, you can type in a TV show or a name of a movie and then it'll give you a green or a red apple depending on if someone who was in it or who worked on it has been accused of sexual assault. So for example, like all of the Weinstein movies are a rotten apple because they're associated with Harvey Weinstein. And I was just, I've been picking movies at random to watch and I'll go to this site and type it in and say, mm, I don't really feel like watching that today. Let's go to another one where someone hasn't been sexually assaulted uh, because of these people. And I really like that website. Oh, no, it's brilliant and so helpful. And yes, whoever created that was a genius. And thank you for that, because it is nice to have a website you can check to see if what you're watching, if anyone has been accused of sexual assault. Yes. Yeah, so the inevitable backlash about the Me Too movement has kind of happened with other accusers, but I think it kind of came around mainly with Aziz and Zari. People, like, the, the question about whether, like, assault or not, and this whole criticism of witch-hunting men kind of came about around this time as well. Yeah, and I thought that the Aziz and Zari thing was very interesting because people were really split on it. And I don't think that it would have been something that people were split on before. So I think that that was really a backlash that I wasn't expecting, but also just something that was very almost interesting that we're changing the tone as a society. Yeah, yeah. Or just continuing this conversation in ways that it needs to be continued that whether you think that Aziz Ansari assaulted that woman or not, like, the fact is that she was very uncomfortable and more complicated and more gray, but that's the kind of stuff that we should continue to talk about. Consent is sexy, people. Constantly check in with your partner, make sure that everything is okay with them. It's really not that hard to ask, hey, are you feeling okay? Hey, do you want to stop? Or, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but you always make sure that someone is giving you enthusiastic and informed consent. Exactly. <sighs> I can't believe that we're still talking about this, but consent is great. Please get consent. So yeah, as a result of all of this, the Me Too movement, all the stories coming forward, um, time named the Silence Breakers as People of the Year and published this just incredible, amazing article about the people who have come forward with their sexual assault. And it will link that article and it's just, yeah, incredible and amazing. If you haven't read that article, you need to go read that article right now. Like, stop, pause us, go read the article because it's amazing. Then as a direct result of the Me Too movement and Weinstein and sexual assault and harassment in Hollywood, the Time's Up organization was founded. So in November 2017, the, the National Farm Workers Women's Alliance, which represents 700,000 female farm workers in the U.S., wrote a letter of solidarity to the Hollywood women involved in exposing the sexual abuse allegations against Harvey Weinstein. And this letter was uh, published in Time magazine and described the experiences of these female farm workers. So in response to that, a bunch of women in Hollywood created this Time's Up Foundation and organization. 
they shared an open letter, which is on the Time's Up website on the main page. It has now up to almost 400 signatures. And they have a couple of initiatives. They created a 13 million legal defense fund administered by the National Women's Law Center to support lower income women seeking justice for sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. They are advocating for legislation to punish companies that tolerate persistent harassment. They are a movement toward gender parity and studio and talent agencies. And then they called for uh, women to wear black on the red carpet for the 75th Golden Globe Awards. Yeah. One of the critiques of the Me Too movement was that it was only affecting the people who had big names, um, all of these stars that weren't scared of the power that men had over them anymore. And one of the criticisms was that that doesn't really do anything for a, a lowly office worker who's being sexually assaulted by her boss or something. And I was really, really happy when the Time's Up movement was announced because I think that it's the correct direction to go with this, is that you need to bring this down the chain and you need to make this kind of accusatory power that these women have down to every single woman on this planet so that we can all keep each other safe. Yeah, and be able to work in a workplace that doesn't allow harassment of any of any kind. Yes. And that was a huge criticism that I saw as well. And our favorite podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, is points out some very good criticisms of celebrity elite and social movements with celebrities. So they helped me, as they say, keep your third eye wide open. But I did like really appreciate that like the Times Up Foundation was supporting lower income women who face sexual harassment and assault in the workplace like yeah yeah and I I really learned about this when you told me about it and then later I think it was that night at the Golden Globes when Oprah had her speech I that was the only thing I watched from the Golden Globes because I don't really follow award shows like you do but it was okay once again pause us go see Oprah's speech if you haven't seen it because it is straight up fire it is amazing, and we're going to link it. Yeah, yeah. The Golden Globes was very – I enjoyed it a lot, and I thought it was really powerful. Um, Oprah's speech made me cry. Um, a lot of other actresses brought activists as their guests, such as uh, Lauren Dern uh, brought Monica Ramirez, who was the founder of the National Farm Workers Women's Alliance, which wrote that letter to the Hollywood women. And Michelle Williams brought Tarana Burke, who created the Me Too movement back in 2006. Yeah, I, I think it was on Call Your Girlfriend where they were talking about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was such a cool thing that they're bringing activists now because before on the red carpet, all of these celebrities were supposed to know everything and everyone and how have answers to everything. And from their childcare and their what dresses they're wearing to what activism efforts they're doing. And instead, I love that they took the time to shine a light on these women who don't have platforms that these celebrities do. And they, they, they brought them with him and said, hey, don't ask me. Ask her. She founded it. She knows everything. She can explain it much better than I can. And I'm using my platform to also prop up other women. And I thought that that was such a great, great thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I loved that actresses brought activists to the Golden Globes. And I hope that they continue to do that because that was amazing. There are a ton of celebrities involved in the Time's Up movement foundation. Meryl Streep, Reese Witherspoon, Shonda Rhimes. 
Ava DuVernay, Natalie Portman, America Ferreira, Amber Tamblin, Tessa Thompson, Uza Aduba, and Tracy Ellis Ross are just a few. Yeah, so there's been a lot. Uh, that's, I think, all about all the research I have. That was all really powerful stuff. I'm so glad that we get a chance to talk about this and that we have a platform where we can discuss sexual assault and all of these things that happened uh, because of the Me Too movement and the scandals. And this has been affecting our lives, too. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that the bull type brought up this conversation um, and that we could talk about it. The Bull Type does a very good job of staying up to date with the current times. Like, they aired this episode in September, um, so there was already a lot of notable sexual assault cases we kind of covered at the beginning of this, had happened beforehand, and then it was just incredibly timely that they aired this episode in September, and then the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke out a month later. Perfect timing for this episode. Um and I just thought that was, like, interesting compared to, like, other shows that stay up with times, like Silicon Valley. They're, like, really good about, like, what happens in, like, the tech industry in Silicon Valley, but it's always, like, a year later, like, <laughs> like after the thing happens. And this, it was, like, happening in the same year, pretty much. Yeah, I thought that that was really poignant, and, and it was such a good way um, to open up a conversation about, you know, sexual assault and, and what's happening. And, and to take this powerful figure, Jacqueline, that we've seen through the entire series and, and just basically want wanted to fall at the feet of because she's so amazing and to take her and also show that even she can be sexually assaulted was a very powerful image. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the best episode of the bull type so far. This, yeah, this one, this one definitely struck me. I, I think I still like five better than this one because I think it just touches me in a special way that this one doesn't quite touch me yet. This is a very, very close second. It, it's it's very hard to tell between the two, but I, I love this show so much. Yeah, so that was all that was all very, very intense. Thank you so much for taking the time to look all of that stuff up. And I know that that was really heartbreaking for you. And just talking about it now, like I feel like I need to just take a break and like wash it all off. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a moment and we'll play Quiet by Milk and we'll come back in a few minutes. Put on your face Know your place Shut up and smile Don't spread your legs I could do that But no Okay. 
Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed that because I love that song and uh, I feel a lot better now. How about you, Price? Yep. Yeah, I feel a lot better. Um, yeah, let's dive in to the rest of the episode and finish out the episode in the season. Yeah, yay. Okay, so after this Fashion Week party, oh, I, this might be one of my favorite moments of the series, honest to God. So the three girls are sitting on a bench and they have a champagne toast. Jane's about to leave to go to Insight, so they're toasting her and they kind of give her some crap because she's trying to think of the perfect thing to say. Yeah, but but we already um, we already know the perfect thing to say. They end up quoting Jacqueline's speech from the very beginning, uh, and I loved this moment because it very details the entire season in this this five six seconds with these three girls and their journeys and I thought that it was so cool as for us as an audience to hear the same words over again but now they have a completely different meaning than they did from episode one yeah it was so poignant and it perfectly ends the season and their journeys and their growth Jane starts it and says to having adventures and Kat says to making mistakes Sutton says, sleeping with the wrong people and the right people. And Jane finishes it and says, to unleashing holy hell. Yeah. Once again, it was just so powerful and it touched my soul. And I was so happy to hear those words again, but shed in this completely new light. It was really cool. And with that, we also wanted to talk about a lot of the parallels that we saw in this 10th episode, in the first episode, which we are just in awe of the writers for doing so well. Once again, there was this gala and this party that we've been talking about, but it was different from the first episode, as we mentioned before. And then, like we said, so there's this toast with Jacqueline's speech, which is very similar to the first episode. We see the three girls for the last time separately in this episode. So 
We see Jane walk out of the office in this beautifully red, striking romper, and she passes Jacqueline as she's entering and exiting the building. Um, And they're both dressed in the same red, and it's the exact same red that we first are introduced to Jacqueline as. I'm pretty sure it's the same blazer, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. It's just a very striking color. And yeah, just shows how much Jane has grown over the season. Yes. And I might be reading into this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So what I noticed is that the very first time we see Jane walking into the building, she's wearing pink and it's almost naive of a color is what I got from it. But when we see her exit the building for the last time, she's in Jacqueline Red. She has grown as a character through the season. And I thought that that was an interesting thing that they did cinematography wise to show this growth from naive, tiny Jane to fierce Jacqueline-esque Jane striking out her on her own. And I, I really loved that imagery. Oh yeah, no, it was beautiful and so well done. So Sutton ends the season in an elevator alone with Richard. They share they share a glance and it's so sweet. Ugh. It's a very, very sweet glance. Yeah, it's like an elevator full of people that empty out and then just leaves Sutton and Richard and they look at each other and they smile very, very sweetly. And I even think that like Sutton starts to take a step towards him when the doors close. Oh, I think that they kiss. Honestly, like oh, yeah. Fan, oh, yeah. fan prediction, I think that they kiss and... I actually gasped when I first saw that because I wasn't expecting Richard to be in the elevator and there he was and it was so sweet and I know that I'm really cynical usually but guys this is awesome. Yeah and it's definitely like a throwback to the very first episode when we're first introduced to Richard and Sutton whenever they're in an elevator full of people and empties out and then it's just them and then they start making out. Yeah it was a perfect image parallel just like Jane's. Mm-hmm. How does Kat in the season? Well okay so I was trying to find a parallel here. And so again, we might be stretching it, but so we see Kat, she decides to go on a trip. She, we see her make a crazy decision and she leaves America. She's got this huge pack on her bag. So I think she's going to be gone for a while, but she decides to strike out on an adventure and we have to assume that it's with Adina. And I just, ah, uh, I wasn't expecting that. And it was so powerful to see Kat just take a leap, make a splash, you know, do, go on a crazy adventure. Again, this is probably a little bit of a stretch, but what I think this parallels with the first episode is that in the first episode, Adina was, she got stuck in customs in the Middle East. And the very last thing we see is Kat striking out to go on an adventure at an airport with her. So that's a little bit of a parallel. But also we do see Kat going through Adina's photos from the first episode, especially Kat's selfie that she took with the misunderstood poster um, in order to make her decision. And I thought that that was also very cool. Yeah, and I think like the parallel is that in the first episode, Kat and Adina, like with immigration problems that Adina was having, they were separated. And so it ends with Adina still having immigration issues, but they're going to be reunited. That is a much better parallel than my parallel. I like your parallel better. It's the similar plot. Adina has immigration issues in the first episode and the last episode. And though I have a lot of questions for Kat, like, um, did she quit her job? Is she just going on a trip? Is like, where is she? I think she's in Peru. We're not quite sure. Yeah, they leave all three characters on this 
weird cliffhanger. Like, we don't know what's up with Sutton and Richard. We don't know what Jane is doing at Insight next. We don't know where Pinstripe is. We don't know where Kat is going. We just know that they're all choosing to go on an adventure and just be really fearless. And that's awesome to see from this place of sexual assault that the episode has been entirely about to go to this powerful image of these three girls just facing the world. And I thought that that was such a cool thing and such a great way to end the season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Though I think you guys can understand why I was freaking out when it hadn't been renewed yet because like some serious cliffhangers uh, they left us with. But don't worry, we got not one, but two seasons. So we're going to have a season three too, which is really exciting. Yeah, we just, we love this episode so much and we're so glad that you guys followed along with us and we got to share all of our thoughts with you. So Price, what was your one favorite moment from this episode? Um, so I think it was definitely just the the passing the weight from Mia to Jacqueline. Um, but we kind of talked about that a whole lot already. So I'm going to also mention just all of Oliver and Sutton interactions. <laughs> this episode were pretty awesome and hilarious and I feel like they needed a shout out. Um, especially after the seriousness that we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah, I, I loved all of their interactions. And I really loved when Sutton was just lying on the floor, just exhausted from Fashion Week. I thought that that was amazing. Oh, yeah. When he's like stressing to Sutton about how important it is that she be on top of her game and get all of his outfits in charge, he says something like, I will not share ink with Anthony Weiner. And Sutton says, not today, not ever. <laughs> like, and just so much, like, very good Sutton Oliver banter this episode, which I enjoyed. Absolutely. What was your favorite moment? I. I don't know. I think that we've talked about all of my favorite moments. I I really loved the bench scene. Like, just, I, I'll go ahead and say that when Jane leaves and we see all of that imagery, because I'm all about imagery and stuff, when, you know, like, all of the throwbacks to the first season, I think that those were all of my favorite moments. And it's really hard to pick one with this episode 10, because it was such a great cap on this season. I thought, ugh. I love this show. So this is the part where usually we talk about what we're looking forward to and, you know, predictions for the next episode. But instead, we're going to take all of that because Price and I want to gush about this for the time that it deserves, which is probably going to be half an hour, honestly. Um, We're going to talk about our favorite moments from the season, our favorite episodes, storylines, all of the different character relationships that we loved and stuff that is unexpected. And that'll be in our season one wrap-up episode, which will be, like we said, right before we start airing season two. I think it'll be sometime in June. Is that correct, Bryce? Yeah, yeah. And we'll also, at the end of the episode, you know, say what we're looking forward to in the next episode, but we're going to hold our predictions for season two until that episode. Yeah, so uh, I'm really excited about that because I have a lot things to say and I'm sure you do too but we definitely have been talking long enough um, so thank you guys thank you guys for sticking with us and we'll catch you guys when we talk about The Handmaid's Tale next episode yep yep a reminder that Handmaid's Tale will be the next episode and we're live tweeting season 2 of The Handmaid's Tale on April 25th You can subscribe to TNTV on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast hub, and can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TTV Podcast. Check out our website, www.tntv.com 
for related links and commentary. And be sure to watch The Bold Type and The Handmaid's Tale with us, available on Freeform, Hulu, and Amazon. Join us next time when we discuss The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. If you're not watching The Bold Type or The Handmaid's Tale, like you should be, still keep us on your subscription list for our episodes later in the year. We have a wide range of tastes and love hearing suggestions. So until next time, drink tea. And happy binging.